0: Chapter Twenty Seven, of Cloudy Jewel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Cloudy Jewel by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Twenty Seven. Clive Terence hung around. He calmly took it for granted that the clouds wanted him as long as he condescended to stay. In fact, it wouldn't have troubled him, whether they wanted him or not, if he wanted to stay. He had discovered that Leslie was the very same kind of a peach which her younger days had promised her to be, and there was plenty of good fun, so he stayed. He said he wanted to see what the college was like before he made his decision, and day after day went by with apparently no plans whatever for leaving in the near future. Julia Cloud didn't like him. She admitted that much to herself the very first evening, and for that reason she was twice as cordial to him as she might have been if she had liked him better. She reasoned that it was unfair to take a sudden dislike that way, and perhaps it was only a sign he needed a bit of their home all the more. So she made him welcome and treated him as she did any other boys who came. But more and more, as the days slipped by, she did not like him. At first she was a bit worried about his influence on Alison till she saw that he merely annoyed Alison. Then she began to be annoyed by his constant attendance on Leslie, and finally she grew exceedingly restless and anxious as day succeeded day and Howard came no more. Finally one evening, just before dinner, she went to the phone and called up the college. It happened that she caught Howard just as he was going down to dinner. She told him they were homesick for him, and there was roast lamb and green peas and strawberry shortcake for dinner. Wouldn't he come?" He came, who could refuse Julia Cloud, but the face of Clive Terence was a study when unannounced. Howard entered the living-room. Julia had seen him coming and quietly opened the door, such a storm of delighted welcome as met him warmed his heart and dispelled the evil spirits that had haunted him during the week in the chatter of talk while they were being seated at the dinner-table. The visitor was almost forgotten, and he sat watching them glumly while Alison and Leslie eagerly discussed plans for some society in which they seemed to be interested. At last he grew weary of being ignored, and in the first pause he languidly drawled. "'Leslie, I think you and I'll take the car and go in town to show this evening. I'm bored to death!' Leslie looked at him with flashing eyes, and then extinguished him with her cool tone. "'Do you? Well, think again. I'm having a lovely time,' and went on talking to Howard about the senior play that was to come off the next week. It did not suit Clive in the least to be ignored, so he started in to tell about other senior plays in other colleges where he had been, and quite made himself the center of the stage, laughing at his own jokes and addressing all his remarks to Leslie until her cheeks grew hot with annoyance. She wanted so to hear what Howard and Allison were talking about in low, grave tones. She watched the strong, fine face of Howard Letchworth, and it suddenly came over her that he seemed very far away from her, like a friend who used to be, but had moved away something in her throat hurt, and a sinking feeling came in her heart, like a flash it came to her that Howard Letchworth would be graduated in three more weeks, and perhaps would go away then, and they would see him no more. She caught a word or two now and then, as he talked to Alison, that indicated that he was seriously contemplating such a possibility. Yet he had not said a word to her about it, and they had been such good friends. A grieved look began to grow around her expressive little cupid's bow of a mouth, and her big eyes grew sorrowful as she watched the two. She was not listening to Clive, who drawled on, unaware of her inattention. Suddenly Leslie became aware that Clive had risen, and was standing over her with something in his hand, which he had taken from his vest—something small and shining—and he was saying, "'Wanna wear it, Les? Here, I'll put it on you. Then everybody will think we are engaged.' It was his fraternity pen he was holding out with smiling assurance, and the significance of his words— came over her as a sentence read without comprehension will suddenly recall itself and pierce into the realization with a stifled cry she sprang away from him mercy no clive i didn't know you were so silly i never wear boys fraternity pins i think such things are too sacred to be trifled with this was what she said but she was miserably aware that howard had turned away and picked up his hat just as clive had leaned over her with the pin and almost immediately he left he had been so engrossed with his talk with allison that he had not seemed to see her repulsion of clive and his manner toward her as he bade her good-night was cool and distant all the pleasant intimacy of all the months together seemed suddenly wiped out and howard a grown-up stranger she felt herself a miserably unhappy little girl julia cloud from the advantage of the dining-room where she was doing little things for the next day watched the drama with a heavy heart what had come between her children and what could she do about it The only comfortable thing about it seemed to be that each was as unhappy as the other. Could it be that Howard Letchworth was jealous of his small, sold, spoiled son of Fortune, who was visiting them? Surely not! Yet what made him act in this ridiculous fashion? She felt like shaking him even while she pitied him. She half meditated, calling him back and trying to find out what was the matter, but gave it up. After all, what could she do? Leslie, as the door closed behind Howard, turned with one dagger-look at Clive and dashed upstairs to her room, where she locked herself in and cried till her eyes were too swollen for steady. But she only told Julia Cloud, when she came up gently to inquire, that she had a bad headache and wanted to go to bed. Julia Cloud, kneeling beside her grey couch a little later, laying all her troubles on the one who was her strength, found it hard not to emphasize her dislike even in prayer towards the useless little excuse for a young man who was lolling downstairs reading a novel and smoking innumerable cigarettes in spite of her expressed wish to the contrary the first sunday after young terence's arrival it rained and was very dismal and cold for spring howard had been asked to go to a nearby reform school for the afternoon and speak to the boys and jane was caring for a little child whose mother was ill in the hospital Leslie was unhappy and restless, wandering from window to window looking out. Their guest had chosen to remain in bed that morning, so relieving them from the necessity of trying to get him to go to church. But he was on hand for lunch in immaculate attire, apparently ready for a holiday. There was a cosy fire on the hearth, and he lolled luxuriously in an armchair seemingly well pleased with himself and all the world. Julia Cloud wondered just what she would better do about the afternoon hour with this uncongenial guest on hand. But Leslie and Allison, after a hasty whispered consultation in the dining-room, with numerous dubious glances toward the guest, ending in wry faces, came and settled down with their Bibles as usual. There was a loyalty in the quiet act that almost brought the tears to Julia Cloud's eyes, and she rewarded them with a loving, understanding smile. But when the guest was asked to join the little circle he only stared in amazement he had no idea of trying to conform to their habits thanks no i hate reading aloud books always bore me anyway the bible oh heck no count me out and he swung one leg over the arm of his chair and picked up the sunday illustrated supplement which he had gone out and purchased and which was now strewn all about the floor he continued for some time to rattle the paper and whistle in a low tone rudely while the reading went on then he threw down his paper and lighted a cigarette but that did not seem to soothe his nerves sufficiently so he strolled over to the piano and began to drum bits of popular airs and sing in a high nasal tone that he was pleased to call whiskey tenor julia cloud with a despairing glance at him finally closed her book and suggested that they had read enough for that day and the little audience drifted away unhappily to their rooms leslie did not come down again all the afternoon until just time for christian endeavour young terence by this time was reduced to almost affability, and, looking up, hopefully, he was about to propose a game of cards. But when he saw Leslie attired in raincoat and hat, he stared. "'Great Scott! You don't have to go up to college tonight, do you? It's raining cats and dogs!' "'Alison and I are going to Christian Endeavor," answered Leslie quietly. "'Would you like to go?' She had been trying to school herself to give this invitation, because she thought she ought to, but she hoped sincerely it would not be accepted. It seemed as if she could not bear to have the whole day spoiled. For answer, young Terence laughed extravagantly. (laughs) "'Christian Endeavor! What's the little old idea?' "'Better come and find out,' said Alison, coming downstairs just then. "'Ready, Leslie? We'll have to hustle. It's getting late.' In alarm at the idea of spending any more time alone, the young man arose most unexpectedly. "'Oh, sure, I'll go. Anything for a little fun.' and he joined them in a moment more, clad in rubber coat and storm hat. Leslie could scarcely keep back the tears as she walked beside him through the dark street, not listening to his boasting about riding the waves in Hawaii. Suppose Howard was at the meeting, he would think—what would he think? And, of course, Howard was at the meeting that night, for he happened to be the leader. Leslie's cheeks burned as she sat down and saw that Clive had maneuvered to sit beside her. She tried to catch Howard's eyes and fling a greeting to him but he seemed not to see his old friends and to be utterly absorbed in hunting up hymns. The first song had scarcely died away before Clive began a conversation with a low growl, making remarks of what he apparently considered a comic nature about everything and everybody in the room, with a distinctness that made them entirely audible to those seated around them. Leslie's cheeks flamed and her eyes flashed angrily, but he only seemed to enjoy it the more and kept on with his running commentary. "'For pity's sake, Clive, keep still, can't you?' whispered Leslie anxiously. "'They will think you never had any bringing up.' "'I should worry,' shrugged the amiable Clive, comically with a motion of his handsome shoulders, that sent two susceptible young things near him into a series of poorly suppressed giggles. Clive looked up and gravely winked at them, and the two bent down their heads in sudden hopeless mirth. Clive was delighted. He was having a grand time. He could see that the leader was annoyed and disgusted this was balm to his bored soul he made more remarks under cover of a bowed head during the prayer and stole glances at the two giggling neighbors then he nudged leslie and endeavored to get her to join in the mirth poor leslie with her burning cheeks her brimming eyes and her angry heart her last vision of the leader as she bowed her head had been a haughty annoyed glance in their direction as he said let us pray she felt that she could not stand another minute of this torture Almost, she felt, she must get up and go out, and she made a hasty little movement to carry out the impulse, and then suddenly it came to her that if she went Clive would follow her, and it would look to Howard as if she had created the disturbance and they had gone off together to have a good time. So she settled down to endure the rest of the meeting, lifting miserable eyes of appeal to Alison as soon as the prayer was ended. If only there had been a seat vacant up front somewhere, a single seat, with no other near it where her tormentor could not follow. She would have gone to it swiftly, but the seats were all filled and there was nothing to do but sit still and frown her disapproval. Perhaps Alison might have done something to quiet the guest, if he had noticed, but Alison was at the moment of Leslie's appeal, deeply wrapped in setting down a few items which must be announced, and he almost immediately arose and went forward with his slip of paper and held a whispered converse with Howard Letchworth during the hymn that followed. Afterwards, taking a chair down from the platform, and placing it beside the chairman of an important committee that he might consult with him about something during this sudden move on the part of allison clive terence did have his attention turned aside somewhat from his mischief-making for he was watching allison with an amazed expression not anything that he had seen since coming to the town had so astonished him as to see this young man of wealth and position and undoubted strength of will and purpose get up in a church and go forward as if he had some business in the affair he sat up with his loose, handsome underlip, half-dropped in surprise, and watched Allison with a curious, startled expression, and when a moment later the leader said quietly, Our President has a message for us, and Allison arose and faced the crowded room with an eager-spirited, interested look on his face, and began to talk earnestly, outlining a plan for a deeper spiritual life among the members. His expression was one of utter bewilderment, as if he suddenly saw trees walking about the streets. Or inanimate objects beginning to show signs of intellect, he was thinking that Alice and Cloud certainly had changed, and was wondering what on earth had brought it about. It couldn't be any line that his guardian had on him, for he was a thousand miles away. Was it that little quiet, insipid mouse of an aunt that had done it? She must be rich or something. The way the brother and sister seemed to be tied to her apron string. Where did Al Cloud get that line of talk he was handing out anyway? why he talked about god as if he were an intimate friend of his and spoke of prayer and bible-reading in the way common ordinary people talked of going to breakfast or eating candy as if they were necessary and pleasurable acts why it was inconceivable what was he doing it for there must be a reason for fully five minutes he sat quiet in puzzled thought watching this strange gathering gradually taking it in that they were all taking part in the proceedings and that they seemed interested and eager Why, even those two giggling girls who had fallen so readily for his nonsense had sobered down, and one read a verse from the Bible while the other repeated a verse of poetry. He turned and blinked at them in wonder what had so influenced them that they all fell in line and performed their part as if it were being rehearsed for his benefit? What was the motive power? The query interested him to the point of good behavior all through the remainder of the meeting, and while he was standing. Waiting for Alison and Leslie at the close, it seemed that somehow there was a real interest, for they lingered as if there were vital matters to discuss, and Leslie was the centre of a group of quite common-looking girls. It must be some sort of social settlement work or other connected with the church, and some one had induced these two, who were to his thinking of a higher order of being, by right of wealth and social position, to take an interest and run this society or whatever it was he could not make it out at all. He was much disgusted that the young people insisted on staying to church, and had a bad hour living through it, although he was surprised to find it as interesting as it was. The minister seemed quite human, and they had a great deal of singing. Still, it was all a bore, of course. He found a great many things in life to bore him. As soon as he and Alison were out on the street, he broached the subject. "'What's the little old idea, old man? Are you a sort of grand mogul or high priest or something to this mob?' and what do you get out of it?' Allison turned, and looked solemnly at him through the dark, and answered with a kind of glow in his voice that seemed to lighten his face, and puzzled the questioner more than all that had gone before. "'I'm just one of them, son, and it happens to be my turn just now to be presiding officer. But I get out of it more than I ever got out of anything in life before.' "'Oh,' said Clive inanely, quite at a loss to know what he meant.' I never knew before that people could know God personally—be his pal, sort of, you know—and work with him. And it's been great!" added Alison. Oh! said Clive once more, quite weakly, not knowing what else to say. And they walked on for almost a block without speaking another word. Clive was thinking that certainly Alison had changed, as that unmannerly chump on the train had said—changed most perplexingly and peculiarly but Allison had forgotten almost that Clive was there. He was thinking over some good news he had to tell Jane about a protege of hers who had taken a shy part in the meeting, and wondering if he could get away for a few minutes to run up and tell her, or if it would be better to call her up on the phone. Howard Letchworth had not come home with them. He had whispered a hurried excuse to Alison about some one he had to see up at college before they left for the city, and hurried away at the close of the meeting and leslie with a choking feeling in her throat and burning tears held back from her eyes by mighty effort announced to allison that she wasn't coming home just now that she was going to stay for a little after the prayer meeting the lookout committee were having she would walk home with the martins who went right by their door for leslie was done with clive terence and she wanted him to understand it so clive was landed at home with julia Clow for companion who had not gone to church on account of staying to nurse cherry who had taken a bad cold and needed medicine Allison hurried away to give Jane her message, and there was nothing for Clive to do but to go to bed and resolve never to spend another Sunday in such boredom, for he couldn't see hobnobbing with an old woman, as he called Julia Cloud, the way the others seemed entirely willing to do. What was she, anyway, but some poor relation, likely, who was acting as housekeeper? But at least for once in his life Clive Terence realized that there was such a thing in the world as a live religion, and a few people who held to it and loved it and enjoyed it. He couldn't understand it, but he had to admit it, although he was convinced, that behind it all there must be some ulterior motive, or those people would never bother themselves to that extent. But Leslie came home from church with a heavy heart and crept up to her room with bravely cheerful smiles to deceive Julia Cloud, and then cried herself to sleep while Julia Cloud, wise-eyed, kept her own counsel and carried her perplexities to the throne of God. End of chapter twenty-seven. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Phoenix, Arizona. April, 2011.